welcome to Greek, Greek uh, Life Group Greek, section two, lesson number two. We're still going to deal with Greek vocabulary. Now, my lesson that I've been so excited about is scheduled for next week, which is Labor Day weekend. And a number of you have been saying, I'm not going to be here next week. Um, and, and put it off a week. So I might put it off a week, but I might not. So come next week. Because I'm worried that it's going to be me and Becky. And if it's just going to be us, we'll stay up on Lake Conroe. But we're coming down from Lake Conroe. I hope to see you here next Sunday. This morning, we're looking at Greek vocabulary again. And I want to start out with a true life story. I was taking the deposition of the CEO of a major international pharmaceutical company. Now, a deposition is a legal proceeding. And in this legal proceeding, it was in a very important case. We were taking the depositions up in New York, and the gentleman was seated, and he had an entire table side full of lawyers dressed in their finest suits. And I'm sitting across the table from him asking him the questions. And before he answers them, he's put under oath, and he has to swear on a video tape to swear the truth, to to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, under penalties of perjury. There's a court reporter taking down each word. And this is a very serious case to me, and I'm being very serious and stern with him. And the issue in the case involved whether or not this particular arthritis drug caused heart attacks. When the word had first gotten out to the investment community that this drug might be linked to heart attacks, it sent a shockwave through the value of the company and the stock price because this was the blockbuster drug for this company. It was a major source of their income. And so the president had gone forth in front of the investment community And he'd given a speech that was written out. In that speech, he had reassured the investment community that the the company had done a, a special study, a low back study on low back pain, and had determined when comparing this drug to placebo, which is a a fake pill, sometimes called a sugar pill, but not technically made of sugar, or it would mess up diabetics. So it's just a fake pill. So when comparing this drug to the fake pill, there were no more heart events on the drug than there were on the fake pill. Hence, the drug doesn't cause heart problems. And I had read this speech, and I had the speech in front of me, and I challenged the president. I gave him a copy. I said, did you, in fact, read this speech to the investment community? He said, yes. I said, is this, and I produced it, the low back study? A very small study, but but a study nonetheless. He said, yes. I said, turn to the last page. It's got a chart. How many heart events on the drug? Five. How many heart events on the fake, the placebo? One. I said, you told the investment community there were the same number 
He said, right. I said, well, five is not the same as one, is it? He said, yes. I said, I'm not sure you heard me. I said, sir, five is not the same as one, is it? He said, well, in the world I live in, there's no difference between five and one. And I got excited. And I said, this is what I've been waiting for. And I reached down in my billfold and I pulled it out and I pulled out a dollar and I slapped it down on the table. I said, here's a dollar. Give me five back. And he said, what? I said, I have been dying to find someone who lives in a world where one and five are the same number. I'm going to give you a dollar. You give me five back. And we're going to keep trading money like this until you move to my world where there's a difference between those two. Now, in fairness to him, in fairness to him, I think what he wanted to say was he did not believe that was statistically significant of a difference, and he just wasn't grasping those words very well. But there is a difference. One does not equal five. Ray Gil Martin, if you're watching this, I'd invite you to come to class, and I want to tell you something. Sometimes one does equal five in Greek. In the Greek language, sometimes it's really hard to take a Greek word and turn it into one English word. Sometimes it takes four or five English words to really make it work. It's the only place I found it. It still doesn't work in drug trials. But it does work. It does work in Greek. Let's talk about that for just a moment before we get into this class. This is your Greek word for the day. It is elpis or elpis if you want to just do the I that way. But it's elpis is more like it. Kind of a, a mixture between a long and a short. An elpis. Can you say it? Elpis. Very good. You'll see that the there's an E as the first letter and it's got a comma turned the correct way so you do not pronounce it as an H. If the comma were turned the other way, we'd, we'd pronounce it helpis instead of elpis. But it's just elpis. E, and then that next letter is a, 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 a yes, a lambda. It is the, the English letter L. It looks like an L that was starting to fall over, so it put down a kickstand. That might help you remember it. So E, L, and then that next Greek letter is the Greek letter pi, which is our English P. And um, I don't know how to say anything, but most people know that pi. And then you have the I, and then you have the final S, which is written a little bit like our S when it's at the end of the word. Elpis. Elpis means hope in the way it's translated in our Bibles. But that's not the best way to translate it. It's the one word we've got, but the Greek contains more than that one word. And I want us to talk about it. You know, when you think of that English word hope, for a lot of people, that is very much akin to what happens if you buy a lottery ticket. 
You hope, fingers crossed, knock on wood, you hope you win. I knew a very dear man who's gone to be with the Lord now who used to, he was a a devout Christian man, but he used to doubt whether or not he would be saved. And he doubted his salvation because even though by all of our standards, he was a very good, devoted, holy man. He knew that compared to God's majesty and purity, he fell woefully short. And when I would have conversations with him about the, the, the confidence we can have in our salvation in Jesus Christ, he thought a confidence in God saving us bordered on arrogance. His belief was, how can we ever be so presumptive to think God owes us salvation and will give it to us in light of who we really are? And and I would talk and talk and talk to this man. But this man and I, some of our discussions finally evolved around certain scriptures. And here were the scriptures that caused him trouble. Look at Titus 3.7. So that, this is Paul writing to Titus, being justified, declared right, being justified by His grace, we might become heirs, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So he would say, I hope I'm going to get it. He might give it to me, but it's a hope, nothing more. Here's another passage. Having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. He says, that's the hope. That's the best I've got. And when he spoke of hope, he spoke of it like a lottery ticket. Now, the Greek word, elpis, is not a lottery ticket, hope. If we were to take that word hope and look it up in a typical Greek dictionary, I've brought with me a couple of dictionaries. By the way, a Greek dictionary is called a lexicon, a lexicon. So here is a typical lexicon that you might have if you're taking classical Greek. It is Liddell and Scott's Greek-English lexicon. And it works like a dictionary. And you can look up LPs. Unfortunately for us, it puts it in capital letters, which makes it a little bit harder for you to read. But here it is. E-L-P-I-S. L-P-S. And just ignore that it's in capitals and imagine it's not. It gives you the definition of hope. 
And then it says that later, it gives you the Latin equivalent, by the way, and then it says later it takes on the meaning expectation, either of good or evil, hope for good, fear for evil. And so you can read that and you think, well, let's go back to the PowerPoint for a moment. I looked it up in the dictionary and it tells me it's either hope which might be just some blind throw of a dart and hope you hit the board. Or it might be an expectation later. Expectation like, I expect the sun to rise tomorrow. So instead of just looking at a general Greek dictionary, we have the benefit of Greek dictionaries that target the time period of the New Testament and other early um, or, um, New Testament-timed Greek and Christian writings. And so you can look up Elpis in those, and you can see when you look it up there, ah, here we go, Elpis, E-L-P-I-S. L peace, expectation, whether of good or ill, rarely in a bad sense. And if you keep reading, you'll see always in the New Testament in a good sense. Expectation of good, hope. In the Christian sense, joyful and confident expectation of eternal salvation and other things. Joyful and confident expectation is the much better definition of LPs. The problem is, writing it out, it takes at that point more than one word. Joyful and confident expectation, not hope, is our New Testament meaning of the word at the time of the New Testament. And so we've got this confident expectation And we'll see that is a good translation of the word if we look at a couple of New Testament passages. I want you to look at Acts 16 with me for a moment. And you can see how this word is being used in the New Testament. Paul and Silas are in Philippi. They've been in prison. Oh, no, 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 no. Before we get to that, this is before they go to prison. Paul and Silas and the missionary team are in Philippi, and Paul and Silas are walking to the marketplace, the Agora. That's where transactions happened in ancient Greece. So they're walking there, and there is a slave girl who is possessed by a spirit of divination. She's a fortune teller. And she's a slave owned by a couple of fellas, and she is their meal ticket. She's their gravy train. She is how they make money. They parade her around, possessed by this demon, and she's able to predict the future and tell fortunes. And they charge for it. And they've been doing this not for a day, not for a week, not for a month, but they've been doing this for a long time, clearly implied in the story. 
Well, this day, as Paul and Silas are going, the slave girl just happens to be pestering them. And Paul gets fed up. So Paul turns around and says, come out and cast the demon from the girl. Now, the fellas that owned that girl, that had been making their living off of that girl for a long time, never dreamed when they woke up that morning that they would be losing their investment, that they would be losing what was their guaranteed income, their annuity. But look at the way it's written in in the text, and look at the word that was used. If we get to Acts 16, verse 19. Whoops. When her owners... See if we can get some focus. There we go. When her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them away. You see, that's that word hope. That is elpis in the Greek. That means a confident expectation, a future reliance, a joyful and con. I mean, they just knew that they'd be getting that money each day from her. This wasn't a, gee, I hope I win the lottery. She had been making them a lot of money before. If you go back to earlier in the story when it's introduced in verse 16, we are told as they were going to a place of prayer, we were going, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. There had been a lot of do-re-mi that they had made from this girl. They never dreamed it'd be gone. They expected it'd make it that day just like they expected the sun to rise. Let me give you another passage that shows you how this word hope is used. Acts 27.20. This is a passage where Paul is sailing for Rome and he's in a ship and the storm comes up and the storm rages and everybody starts handling it. They try to get to a port. That doesn't work. When that doesn't work, they start after three days jettisoning cargo overboard, trying to get the ship as light as they can, trying to make the best path they can. The storms continue. They're whipped about. They lose track of where they are day in, day out for weeks They have this problem, and then they finally reach a point. Look at verse 20. There it comes. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small storm lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Now, we cannot say... That they just didn't want to be saved anymore. They clearly did. They clearly had a pie-in-the-sky lottery hope, but they no longer had a confident expectation it was going to work out. You see, that word elpis there in the Greek, that's what it meant to the readers then. It wasn't what we think of as a hope. It was something that, just like the sun's coming up tomorrow, hadn't happened yet, but I confidently expect that it will. 
You with me? Okay. If you're with me on that, now let's look at some, some New Testament texts in the Greek. Let's go back to the PowerPoint if we can. So this is Confident Expectation. By the way, this is your cartoon comic strip. Knock, knock. Help us. Help us. Help us on the way. I'm confident. Okay, I made it up. It's not supposed to. And you can't expect like Dilbert or world-class humor here, okay? I'm, but I'm confident. Elpis on the way. So that's going to help you remember this word. Elpis means confident, joyful and confident expectation. All right? Now, let's look at some Greek passages now that we've got that done. Um, passage number one. Or set of passages. Did you know this is how important this confident, joyful, and confident expectation is? Did you know it's one of the big three? It's one of the big three. Faith, hope, and love. It's one of the big three. It's not only found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 where Paul says faith, hope, and love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. It's found there, but it's also found with those three words in Galatians 5, or one of those three words, as one of those three words together, in Galatians 5, 5 through 6, 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3, 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, Romans 5, 1 through 5, Colossians 1, 3 through 5. You get the idea? Those three words are put together by Paul six different times in Scripture because they go together. And I will not be able to say that without thinking of Brent's Greece quote. They go together like da-da-da-da-da, whatever, whatever. Um... So let's, let's look, you know the, Galate, the Corinthians passage, many of you do. Now abide these three, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Look at Galatians 5, 5 through 6. We'll just look at a couple of the others. I want to try and get through a lot of class today. So, so uh, all of this is in your handout. If, you, if it doesn't make sense or you want to look deeper beyond what I've got time to cover here. Look at Galatians 5, 5 through 6. For Let's see if we can do this a little bit clearer. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. There are the three. By faith... We ourselves eagerly wait for the joyful and confident expectation of righteousness. Which is what comes by faith working through love. Faith working through love will produce righteousness in our own lives, but it will produce righteousness in the world around us. We can confidently Expect that. Look at another passage. 1 Thessalonians 1, 2, and verses 2 and 3. This is at the beginning of the letter. Paul says, We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work 
of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope. There, he speaks of a steadfastness of hope. In other words, you're able to continue to do day to day what you need to do because you confidently expect that God is going to be there over it all. Sheriff Ron Hickman sitting right here. I don't think he dreamed yesterday. I don't think you dreamed yesterday morning that you would be the feature news story on all of the national media. He stood up, he stood up for right and wrong and for his people and for us. But I asked myself this question, and I've known Ron for a long time. I knew him when he was our constable. I've been honored to know him as our sheriff and know him as a friend and as a member of this class for years and years and years. And I want to tell you something. I asked myself this question. How would I have handled the crisis you had with that officer being gunned down? And I thank God for faith. Because there is a confident expectation that in the midst of all of the evil and all of the horror and all of the problems of this world, we have a delivering God. And there's a steadfastness that comes with that. There's an ability to get on TV. There's an ability to put one foot in front of the other and do what we're called to do as we continue to work in faith and labor in love steadfast because we confidently expect the Lord to show up. Not a, oh, I hope this works. He's coming. I know He's coming. It's called El Peace, Hope. Because he isn't here yet on this event that I can see. But it's there. Look at 1 Thessalonians 5.8. Same letter, Paul uses it again. Paul says, starting with verse 7, to get us in the flow of it. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. We belong to the day. We're not hiding around and slinking around in the night. So we can be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love. And what caps it off? A helmet of the hope of salvation. We can wear our faith. We can wear our love because we confidently expect that God is saving. And it's a confident expectation. Romans 5, 1 through 5 A massive passage on this. Just a tremendous passage on this. How am I doing time-wise? Okay, we may not have time to get through this um, part of this passage. But you can read about it. Just look at this, and I won't comment on it much. Since we've been justified, declared right before God, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we've obtained access by faith, into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope, the confident expectation, the joyful and confident expectation of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that our suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope.
And hope, a confident expectation, doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit given to us. We can have this confidence. And we don't ever have to worry about being embarrassed about it. Because the God who loves us is the God in whom we have the confidence. So when we're in the middle of suffering, we can let the suffering produce an endurance. That's a pity. I wish suffering lasted for a millisecond. But it doesn't. It runs its course. But in the believer, it produces endurance, which produces character, which produces a confident expectation. I'm 54. I'll be 55 this year. I've been through suffering in my life, periods of suffering, which allow me to tell you and allows me to teach my children, God is with you in the suffering And God is on the other side of the suffering, which will pass. I can affirm that. And I confidently expect it because I've seen him do it over and over and over again in my life. And I know his love for me. His love for me and his love for you. Every one of you is so great that he would demonstrate it by becoming human and dying for you. That's hard to beat. Colossians 1, 3 through 5, another example. Let's go back to the PowerPoint for a moment. So hope is one of the big three. But I want to talk to you about hope in a different sense. We got PowerPoint? There we go. Hope in a different sense. Before we leave, I did draw this. So God's love, think of it like a tree. God's love for us manifested in the cross of Jesus is the root that gives nourishment to our faith. But as that love takes root and bears in our faith, the fruit of it is hope. Our confident expectation for what is to come when we leave things in God's hands. Okay, next thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about hope in suffering for a moment. There are a number of passages like we just read in Romans 5 that talk about the importance of a joyful and confident expectation in the Lord in the midst of suffering that we're going through. And the best example I can use for that is Romans 8, 18. So here's what we need to do with Romans 8.18. If we go to the Elmo, good job, guys. I want you to see this, and I want you to see as we work through it, there's a, a parallel, if you will. There's Paul is drawing two parallel ideas together. So the parallel we'll, we'll have going with us as we go along. The parallel is between the cosmos, the world, And us, the believer. And Paul draws a comparison between the two. Now, how many of you know that the cosmos itself is not everything it's cracked up to be? And I don't just mean Houston heat. I mean hurricanes. I mean floods. I mean drought, famine, 
there, the, the, the world that's, I, I was speaking, uh, talking about the existence of God with an atheist from the Northeast uh, the other day, and we were discussing whether or not there's a God, and his comment to me was, if there's a God, he's doing a really bad job. And this was one of the reasons why. And we worked through some of that together. He's a project for, for the Lord. He wasn't a one-time shot. So we got more work to do. But we started talking about it. And, and at least he recognizes that the world is not what it's cracked up to be. The thing is, is God, Scripture doesn't say God made the world this way. This is the result of a fallen world. And that's what Paul's saying here in Romans. So Paul says the following. I consider the suffering that we're experiencing, the suffering of the present times are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. And he says, think about it like creation. Creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So we've got the cosmos, we've got creation, and it's in travail. It suffers. At times, it stinks. But it has a hope, a confidence, that there will come a time where it will be different. A glorious future. All right? No, he says that's the same way with believers. And not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemptions of our bodies. For in this confident expectation, we were saved. Now, this confident expectation, if it's here, it's not an expectation. It's an experience. It's a reality. It's a present sense impression. If anybody has legal training. Who hopes, who confidently expects what he's already got. But we confidently expect what we don't see and we wait for it with patience. Not with fingers crossed. We are confidently expecting it. But we wait with patience. Because just as the world... We have times of travail and suffering that really stink, but we can be confident that there is a glorious future on the other side. And we've got it. And so when you're in the midst of your times of suffering, if we go back to the PowerPoint, in the midst of your times of suffering, have that joyful and confident expectation that there is a God who is going to work in that suffering both to bring you to victory and to take care of all of the problems and the mess. We can confidently expect it. Now I want to talk about a third group of scriptures that talk about hope. There's a whole other group of, of scriptures that talk about hope 
that we need to have in terms of our own personal failures. Personal failure can be a a huge problem for us because the Spirit of God works within us and convicts us of our sin. And so we see where we're inadequate. And and we see how, how unfortunate it is and it pains us. There's a song by Hillsong, The Scandal of Grace. If you don't have it downloaded, download it. Listen to it. Worship with it. It's got a chorus that will be hard for many to sing, depending on where you are in life. But you need to get to where you can sing it. Oh, to be like you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Give all I have just to know you. Forever the hope in my heart. This, I mean, the world's got lots of attractors. The world can be very seductive. The world can entice you with pleasures of the senses. Sight, taste, touch, smell, hearing. With comforts of life. But the idea of knowing Jesus Christ and having Him as the hope of your heart is of such greater value that all of the rest of that is put to shame. We need to be where we see that. And the nice thing about it is, is when we fall short, there is, biblically speaking, a hope of righteousness. I am not righteous in the way I live. Try as hard as I might. And it pains me. It, it, it hurts my heart when I just don't measure up. And I understand I'm not going to be perfect like God, but I can do better than I'm doing. And the nice thing about it is, is God says to me and he says to you, you can confidently expect you will do better. You can confidently expect righteousness. I am transforming you little by little every day into the image of my son. And it's a process. But it's happening. You can confidently Expect it. So let's look at some of these passages. Galatians 5, 5, Ephesians 1, 18, 1 John 3, 3. All really good passages. We'll just pull a couple of them down. There are more than that, but those are the ones I've got for you. Um, Galatians 5, 5. Galatians 5, 5. Like this. We looked at it earlier, but uh, not in this emphasis. Galatians 5, 5. Through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. I'm confidently expecting it. A hope of righteousness. Ephesians 1, 18. Paul prays for the Ephesians. And he's praying that they would have the eyes of their hearts enlightened. That they may know what is the confident expectation to which... He has called them. 
What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? That we can confidently expect. It is a promise and an assurance from a God who does not lie. And it is the reason, those of you who are memorizing 1 John, Miss Carolyn, right here. You've been thinking this while I've been talking. 1 John 3, 3, I want you to think about it. Everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who confidently expects God to be working in their lives is going to be working in their lives too. I'm going to work to do my best so that I'm working within myself what God is working out from me. Or maybe it's the opposite. I'm working out what he's working in. Paul uses that in Philippians somehow. So this is it. Now, here's the question for you. So if this is it, go back to the power play. If this is hope and personal faith, I want some hope. Where do I get hope? Where do I get this confident expectation to see me through suffering? Where do I get this confident expectation to grow this great fruit from faith and love? Where do I get this joyful and confident expectation that I'm not finished like this, but there's righteousness ahead for me? Thank you, God. Where do I get some? Easy. The Bible tells you. Look at passages like Romans 15, 4, Romans 5, 4, and 5, Romans 15, 13. We'll just grab two of those real quick and then the points for home. Romans 15, 4. Paul writes the following. He's talking about Scripture. And he says, whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have a confident expectation. When we read our scriptures, we grow in our confident expectation of the Lord. Hey, Noah, toting an umbrella. When there's not a cloud in the sky. What's the old Keith Green song? All his neighbors would laugh at his pet giraffe. And whistle as he passed by. But Noah, don't worry. Just keep building the boat. It's just a matter of time till they see who's going to float. Just keep doing your best and pray that it's blessed. And he'll take care of the rest. He's the weatherman. You read those stories. And you see what God has done. Then you read Calvary and you see what God has done. And there is an encouragement that brings hope. You keep walking through the difficulties of life. And there is a hope as you experience God working in your life just as he has in others. Later on in that chapter, Paul says the following. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. May the God who is the reason we confidently expect be blessing you and the Holy Spirit with that. We go back to the PowerPoint. We get our hope from the Lord. We get our hope from our walk. We get our hope through Scripture. So here are our Greek points for home. Number one, rejoice in tribulate or rejoice in hope 
in a confident expectation. You make it a joyful one. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Pastor David said, your witness to other people will be something profound. If no other way, then when you're suffering and you've got tribulation and people around you see it, to be able to hold your head up and say, that's okay. I have a confident expectation that all things are going to work together for good for me. Why? Because I love the Lord and he loves me. Now, don't make suffering go away. Suffering still stinks and you still got to work through it and it still rips your heart out at times. But with a joyful and confident expectation that at the end of this, you're going to get to look back and see what God has done in your life. I'm going to trust God. Number two. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. That's Romans. No, that's Colossians 1.17. Is that Romans 1, uh, 15? Sorry. It's in there. I hope. I confidently expect it. By the way, as I wrote that, that was my prayer for you guys. It's my prayer for my family. It's my prayer for my kids. It's my prayer for my wife, my mom, my sisters, my brother-in-laws, my nephews, my nieces. That's my prayer. My prayer for you. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in a confident expectation of what is to come. Final point for home. Through the encouragement of scriptures, we might have hope. That's why we're digging deeper. That's why we're looking at this Greek. Don't ever feel like your hope in the Lord is a lottery ticket and you are just got your fingers crossed he comes through. Be confident. Expect it. It will happen. And we will encourage each other in scriptures here next week. May God bless you all.